Hi everyone and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast where we're all about having honest conversations with people, sharing their life experiences and how you can support your mental well-being. So we're here to inform, inspire and empower you to live a joyful, meaningful and healthy life and whilst we're doing that to challenge misconceptions and stigma and raise awareness of mental health and mental well-being. And we're super excited, or I'm super excited, to have you back this week. I hope you enjoyed the double drop that we had last week with two episodes. We're back to just our regular one this week, and it is an awesome episode. I've really enjoyed listening back through whilst I've been editing. We're joined this week by Craig, who will introduce himself a bit more, who is another fellow podcaster, and we're going to go a bit into men's mental health again. I know we did that Uh, back in episode 22 with Henry. We're going to talk about men's mental health again and quite a lot into substance abuse and addiction and childhood trauma and uh, all that kind of um, stuff. And as I said, this is something that we like to do here is to have these honest conversations about topics that are sometimes just not talked about. And the reason that a lot of them are not talked about is shame. And it's actually something... I've written a, a blog post about this week when I'd noticed this feeling of shame in myself. And that was, it basically came about, I've revamped my website, moved across to um, a new site, same web address, www.psyche.co.uk, psyche, P-S-Y-K-H-E. And uh, just something that is a bit more, I don't know, streamlined and I guess kind of professional looking, but with more personality in it because I I just really uh, wanted it to be something that felt like me that, that felt authentic, and I um it could be linked to the fact that I finally uh, I talked about it in the first ever episode, reading it starts with why by Simon Sinek, and I have finally today finished reading the book. <laughs> it's taken me a while, but I just feel really uh, inspired by it. I would definitely recommend it if you're someone who is struggling with feeling a sense of kind of purpose or direction and that, and that kind of thing. It really helped me. And I think there is so much for anyone who is trying to start their own business. There is so much about the the right way to do it, uh, air quotes, right way, <laughs> the way that it's going to get you leads and get you interest and whatever. And and I'm sure a lot of it does work really well. But sometimes I just feel like it's not really me. And and it's about making loads of money. And, th- and there's nothing wrong with making money. I think at the moment it's something that unfortunately some people are trying to profit off of the current situation. And that is, I mean, personally, I just don't think that's ethical. But that's me. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though, in the kind of profiting of it, it making a living and, and having your business is different to sort of ramping up prices because of it. There's a, a like, clear distinction there. But it really helped me to sort of think about what, well, not the what, sorry, the why I'm doing what I'm doing, why this podcast exists, uh, why I've got into coaching, uh, and to really think about all that. So it was reading that. And so the web, the new website is much more, um, yeah, professional looking, but personal feeling, I guess, is the way. So definitely check it out. Let me know what you think. And I was copying across the blog posts on the, um, the old, from the old website. And then I just had this real sense of shame about some of them. And uh, there's a new blog post up, which is all about that kind of recognizing that feeling and going, Ugh, what is this all about? 
And I copied across all of uh, all of the blog posts, even the ones I'd felt some shame about. So they're all there. But it just was kind of uh, my moment of shame this week. But that's something we'll get into. We talk a lot about emotionally healthy role models and what they look like. And it's something that I had an interview with with a guest last week, which won't won't be on for, for a little while. But we talked really about child mental health and wellness. And, and I think that uh, being a role model, not just to children in your life, but to others around you is really important. And that's something I've definitely been thinking about because... Full disclosure, the last uh, week, my my gym habit has slipped. Obviously, staying at home, I'm not going out apart from the essentials. And my bit of exercise is walking the dog, which is not particularly far because he's a little old man. Uh, So I had been doing my early morning gym session at home. Last week, I just didn't. I slept in. Um, I think I did need to catch up on sleep, but I've been making not the best food choices in that I've been sort of mindlessly eating a lot of chocolate and not really nurturing myself. That's something this week I'm going to really focus on because I feel better when I look after myself. And actually, it's it's quite funny because we did talk about food as well and sugar and caffeine and uh, and all of that. So it's, I think, a really uh, informative conversation, uh, really interesting to talk about addiction, which is something that we've not touched on yet. And the last thing I kind of wanted to mention was we recorded this interview back in February. So the, you know, the world looked very different then to how it does now. And what's interesting is I, I make her mention to the, the floods that we'd had, um, I think, earlier in February in the UK. And about how we can take things for granted that are always there and how the floods had made me realise like how much I, I took for granted, obviously having electricity and having a, a dry house and, and having a, a shower, a warm shower and and how we just take things for granted. And I think at the moment, again, our, you know, our world looks different and we're thinking about the things we've maybe taken for granted. And that could be school <laughs> for children. It could be just meeting up with friends or going to the cinema or popping to a cafe and all these things that we've maybe taken for granted. And suddenly, I personally have been really reflecting on my priorities and the things that are important to me because suddenly when there are these restrictions... Um, I guess you kind of see what's important. And I think for a lot of people, it's not all the stuff that we have in our houses. And and it comes back to that materialistic versus experiential life, doesn't it? That we quite often in, in our society focus on stuff, having stuff, having the best car, the best clothes or whatever. Lots of books. I'm not going to apologize for having lots of books <laughs> because actually they are something that does bring me joy in that that has been comforting I've been reading a lot more but we have that sometimes that obsession about stuff and now now what we're finding is you know people have to stay at home with all their stuff and and people don't want to um I know today um I'm recording this on Sunday Saturday and Sunday there were images in in the UK of people going out and sunbathing and things that you know are nice to do but we're we're in the middle of a crisis we're supposed to be staying at home and people are struggling with that and and I just think it really shows that we might have this materialistic obsession but they are not the things really that make us happy and bring us joy it is being outside in nature which is something that's come up quite a lot 
moving in nature. You keep seeing people cycling and running and I wish I could go wild swimming, but that's not on the sort of list of uh, exercises that are okay. So it wouldn't be an essential trip. So that's something that I'm really missing. And it just really, I think, reinforces that, that joy doesn't come from things. They're nice to have. They can give us a, a boost. The clothes that we wear might feel like they're a part of our identity in some way and how we express ourselves, but they are not the most crucial things to our happiness and, and to our well-being. It is that connection with people. It is being outside. It's contributing. I mean, the numbers of people who have volunteered to help the NHS or who have volunteered. I know our local town council has been having volunteers and I've volunteered for both of those things. But I think so many people have that in reality, the chances of actually being called to do anything are, um, are quite small. But contribution, connection with people and yeah, just being able to be outside and make the most of life. They're the things that are really important. So I guess to, to sum up my little waffling bit in the beginning, I I guess I'm hoping that out of all of this comes a greater appreciation for the things that are really important to us and the things that really nurture us and bring us joy in our life. And that is what we're all about here. I'm going to pass over to the conversation with Craig. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I really enjoyed talking to Craig, so thank you to him for joining us. And his podcast, I'm going to say it here, He'll mention it and at the end, but his Happy You're Here podcast, I would absolutely recommend checking out if you want to hear more of him. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. And I'm really excited to introduce this week's guest, Craig. So Craig, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am a podcast host as well. I host a show called Happy You're Here. I'm trying to make it a show about tools, techniques, and ideas for people to live more fulfilled lives. A lot of my listener base are men, especially here in the United States that are, I mean, we have a pretty drastic mental health crisis in our country. And I mean, in most of the modernized world. And I see there's pretty significant statistics about the way that men specifically are affected by drug and alcohol use and suicide in the US. And I'm sure it's the same in Europe. And it's just because we're not taught the tools to really cope and manage our mental health. Yeah, I know it's absolutely the same um, here in the UK, mental health generally, and then men specific mental health. Yeah. One of the things that this is like my last question, but um, I don't know whether we'll throw it in here or kind of hint at it. So we on the Psyche podcast, we talk a lot about mental wellness. And we also like to leave people with tips and strategies. So Hopefully some of the kind of things that you talk about on your podcast will be relevant when we get to to that place um, as well. But I really would like to, if we can, to maybe talk a bit more about addiction um, yeah. and drugs and alcohol, because that's something, one that we've not talked about really on the podcast yet. And I always like to add <laughs> new stuff. And oh, have, I feel like I talk about it way too much on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. But it's an important topic. Yeah. And I, I think there are certain topics that people maybe feel uncomfortable talking about. And so I think this is a mm. good platform to have honest open conversations about them and just make it feel a bit more okay to talk about them yeah absolutely my background is actually i'm a recovering addict myself and that's how i first got into even really becoming self-aware about my mental health and 
learned about mindfulness and meditation. A lot of kind of the healing stuff that I've gotten involved in has all been as a reaction of my recovery. Because uh, I started to, there's a thing that happens in, and it's kind of in AA, is a lot of addicts, when they do get sober, which is great, they spend the rest of their lives just abstaining from the activity rather than actually recovering and learning how to live again and learning how to heal a lot of the traumas and the issues that caused them to find refuge in drugs and alcohol in the first place, which everyone has a reason for it, whether it's boredom with life and they're just trying to have fun. That's a lot of times how it starts for people. But that usually comes from something else because life is inherently pretty amazing. So if you're needing to find those things, you're not being shown or maybe you're hiding from some things in life that have not been so ideal for you that you need to mask it. Um, if I know for myself, it was just kind of a numbing agent on multiple levels and it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And, you know, it's interesting you said about people, there's kind of a stigma around talking about it. And I'm luckily that seems to be changing with the internet. I think people can look around and be like, oh, wow, a lot of people have these problems. And also a lot of celebrities that are now sober coming back and talking about, you know, that everyone suffers in some way. And a lot of people, a lot of people find refuge in, in these substances. And they're becoming, unfortunately, the more and more we make them illegal, the more and more readily available they seem to become. And there's a whole plethora of issues that go along with that. But I think the key thing is, is teaching people that are on the cusp of becoming addicts, that having that awareness that like the thing that, you know, this partying and stuff is not as innocent as it might seem when they're younger, because I think that's, I see it in younger kids that I know, and I would love to step in and help them. But I know, you know, there's a certain point where you can't, you can't tell someone how to live their life, you can just hopefully live a good example, and mm. hope that they decide they want to follow in your footsteps, and provide them those tools and techniques and ideas just kind of on a platter and say, like, here, these are, if you want them. And hopefully, some people at some point will decide to use those. I know, for me, when I was first making the decision that I when I first realized I even had a problem and then I decided I wanted to get sober, I was, I didn't know how to do it. I still spent another year using and sleeping on pavement and stuff because I was partying and, and I had no real concept of how to get out of it. And the idea of like rehab seemed completely impossible to me because there's no way I could afford that. And most people that are using or have spent all their money and maybe can't hold a job and are broke. So it's like the, uh, and I mean, we don't have universal health care here. So, and I don't know if it's even covered in a lot of countries, uh, addiction, recovery, like rehabs and stuff. I'm sure to some degree. Yeah. I'm just thinking whether I know there are drug and alcohol services that people can access and whether I think some are run by the health service and some are maybe with charity, uh, not for profits kind of yeah. uh, filling in, filling in the gap as well. Right. Yeah. The, we, we have some too. It's just like it's very scattered and it's very hard to. And also sometimes that's not the going to AA or going to rehab isn't the mode that will actually help somebody. Because a lot mm -hmm. of times, again, it's just that abstaining, which can be a good off ramp, but that's not going to lead to long time, long term healing. It's just, you know, one bad day away from falling back into it at that point until mm -hmm. you actually heal those traumas and start to build yourself back up. Mm. Yeah, because I think, like you said, that there is a an, an underlying reason. And if, you, if you're trying to numb something, and then you take away the thing that is serving a, um, a protective, oh, mind blank, lost the word, well, it's serving uh, its role. Yeah. yeah, role. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. I was like, what's the word? Role. If you take that away, yeah. and you haven't dealt with the reason why you are seeking something to numb, then you haven't solved 
the underlying issue and then you're maybe going to find something else or try and find something else yeah. that it's going to fix it rather than doing what is a probably very difficult work of actually dealing with the inner stuff which is yeah and everybody yeah. has trouble with that uh i mean everybody has some kind of traumas i was just doing a workshop recently it was my girlfriend's a hypnotherapist and it was uh one of her workshops and part of it is you when you're in the hypnotherapy a hypnotized state you go back to your memories and you just are, you kind of it's weird which ones come up because they're not usually in this state the ones that you would expect the ones that you usually have queued up to be like oh this is the reason why this i'm like this right different mm -hmm. memories will come up and it'll be like i don't even i didn't even know i remembered that and those memories when people go to explain them because we share in the group a lot of times they'll be like well this memory it felt impactful, but it, it's not that traumatic, but here it is. And they explain it and they kind of explain a way that like, oh, this isn't that bad. But it's like, you know, some of them and some of them you hear and you're like, that is really traumatic. Uh, that's sad. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And some of them, it's like, maybe that's not comparatively traumatic, but for a child that has no and that's the thing. At some point we were all children and, and something has like it's I would be amazed if there's anyone that doesn't have any kind of trauma from their childhood. Because it's just the yeah. world and it always has been. And what is key is raising children to be able to deal with those things, to be able to be, to deal with emotions. And if something goes wrong, how do they bounce back from that rather than let's just repress all of our emotions, <laughs> which is kind of, at least especially for men, but even for women too, is totally the like route that we've been taught. And it's dangerous because that just festers yeah. and causes all of it finds ways out in other in other ways. Yeah. And you know, what? I think a lot of that is we expect children just to understand emotions without actually being taught mm -hmm. what they are. But I think for the kind of suppressing, there's almost the and I'm not a parent. So I'll just uh, throw that in as a disclaimer. But you know, the parent, their, their child's upset or angry, and they, they can't handle that emotion they don't want their child to be upset because you wouldn't want them to be upset but rather mm -hmm. than letting them experience that emotion and then explaining and understanding it it's almost like oh no 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 you're not sad you're not angry yeah don't and do that don't do that yeah don't, don't do that and, it, and it's because of the, them their anxiety around the powerful emotions and so then the child doesn't learn how to recognize it doesn't learn how to manage it and let it out in a healthy way and then we uh, yeah. suppress emotions and then yeah and i think a lot of it comes down to teaching parents and just as ourselves as we as you know the new generations become parents like learning our own how our own brains work learning how our own emotions work and becoming more emotionally healthy because if we're more emotionally healthy then we can you know, pass those mechanisms on to our children and because they model everything we do too. So it's, yeah. it's, if we're not emotionally healthy, they're going to model that. And if yeah. we grow up and learn some better coping mechanisms and techniques to deal with our emotions and to experience those emotions healthily, then they're going to model that as well. And I think there's something so powerful, my backgrounds in education. Uh, and so as a teacher, if you are, obviously you have to sort of show up for the job and you can't just spend all day moaning about <laughs> you know, your own stuff. But if I was really tired or ill or having a bad day, I would say, I'm just, you know, FYI, I'm tired today or I'm not very well or I'm a bit grumpy. And, you know, and, and then you're kind of naming the emotion or, or what it means. 
And then yeah. you can talk about it. And actually, if you're a parent listening to this and, and you are sad to express that, and then you can have a conversation about how it's okay to, to be sad sometimes and then ways that maybe you can try and lift your mood and model it and, and have that discussion. Yeah, I think that would, be, you know, and I know some parents that do that with their kids and their kids are incredibly emotionally healthy and grow up to be pretty well-adjusted people because of that. And I mean, you see it a lot in like the hippie kind of community <laughs> where they've, you know, they've opened up to their emotions a lot more in that subculture. But I think it's spilling over into mainstream culture, fortunately, it, kind of by desperation. I think that things have gotten so bad with mental health just because we've basically got, we've gotten all of the material, like things that we could possibly want in our society now that we're still looking around and like, why am I not happy? <laughs> And yeah. I think there's not much more chase that can happen for material goods that we just, we just see it all around us. All the people that even if we don't have it ourselves, like we see the people that do, they're not particularly happy either unless they do. And then you see these people that, you know, have done this deep, like emotional healing work through whatever construct that they've done that in or however they've conceptualized that. And those are the people that, at least for me, I gravitate towards those people. Like I, That is the idea of success to me is someone that can be well-adjusted and mentally stable um, and healthy throughout whatever life throws at you, whether you have or have not, whether you're dealing with stress or, you know, and learning to do all of those things healthily is kind of essential thing, essential part of being human, essential part of the human playbook that mm. we just haven't really, I think it's really that we haven't really completely worked it out. It's not that anyone's like holding the keys and is like, oh, we're not going to show you how to do this. It's just that like, we're, it's pretty new fields mm. of science. Um, I obviously even studying mental health forever, but like it's the version of it that we're dealing with now is, is there's a lot of new stuff constantly coming out because it's less it's harder to, to study than it is like, why does a heartbeat, right? Why does the brain do what it does? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a complicated, complicated thing. But I really like when you, when you said there about obviously materialistic stuff. And I think there's that, mm. I'm not going to say it's not happiness, but maybe like a more superficial happiness that comes from having things. And then there's a different type of happiness, which is about that emotional stability or that emotional awareness and connection and and I yeah I think this sort of more true happiness if you like is when you have that you know yeah. I like to use the differentiation between happiness and fulfillment mm -hmm. and happiness is the you know chemical reaction of like I get something nice and I feel happy I, I'm with someone I love and I feel happy and those are temporary and they're mm -hmm. only there whenever that good stimulation is there in your environment where fulfillment lasts through struggle and hardship and everything. And it's like, all of this feels meaningful. And I feel mm. like I'm capable of dealing with it. Mm. And that's we've, you know, there's the, the field of positive psychology that really honed in on that word happiness for a long time. And I think recently, a lot of studies have flipped and started to pay attention to the difference between happiness and fulfillment and meaning, you know, they use that word a lot too. And because we realize that there is a difference there, you can feel happy. And I think because we've studied happiness specifically so much and we've published all these papers about what makes people happy now people are just chasing these temporary fixes for happiness and then still wondering and then it almost makes it worse because you're like i'm doing all of the things right 
why do I feel still feel this deep sadness, this deep lack of meaning in my mm. life? Because you're not addressing that core thing. Absolutely. I'm going to throw in two of my questions now because it just feels, you'll see when I, when I yeah. say why, why it feels like it works. And it's quite funny because I'm having a bit of a podcast recording day and actually I spoke to someone earlier and he viewed these two questions as almost approaching the happiness um, thing that you've just described from the two different angles. The first one is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy? So I guess this is maybe your chemical happiness, if you like. Yeah. So for me, it's other people. I get a little bit of satisfaction when I complete something too. I'm a little uh, like oriented on like completing things. And when I get a podcast done or I get a film finished or I get a, I'm a creator by nature. So I do a lot of different creation things. And those are the things that really, you know, make me feel they give me that boost of that, whatever the chemicals are, the chemical concoction that's happening there. But also, you know, people, I'm a very social person. So I go to a networking meeting or I go to a mixer or something, a friend's party. Those are the, th I just feel completely euphoric afterwards. Um, but that stuff doesn't last. I go home and I end up by myself and it just starts to fade. And then there's that like underlying, okay, what's still there? Mm. What's there by myself in contrast to that? And that contrast is the thing that really used to get me because it's like, well, I, I just felt so happy and I did all the things that are supposed to make me feel happy. And then I come home and I, feel completely depressed and it's like okay i'm doing i feel like i'm i there's something wrong with me and which then just furthers the depression and that cycle just you know takes you over mm. if you don't go get another fix of that happiness chemical mm. i suppose then the, this next question then links to the the what's left <laughs> which is what makes life meaningful for you i think in many ways i'm still trying to figure that out for myself i I think it just within the last couple of years really became, I kind of like gave lip service to that idea for a long time, but I never really looked at it. I was a filmmaker and I thought that like telling stories and creating films was the thing that was going to, that, that mattered to me. And that was what created meaning in my life. But after I finished my first feature film and I had done a bunch of projects and I kind of had done, checked off all the little boxes that I had given myself, I just felt this deep lack of meaning. And I was like, is, is this it? And I think the reason was because I wasn't necessarily, I was focused on myself and I wasn't serving other people in any way. So it's been kind of a roller coaster couple of years trying to get myself to a place where I feel like I can serve other people and then figuring out where do I fit in? I'm still trying to figure that out. Where do I fit in in society where I can add the most value to other people? Um, right now it's through this podcast that I'm, uh, and I think that, you know, because I've done a lot of that work and I know a lot of people doing a lot of interesting, different healing work. I can kind of serve as a bridge. Um, a lot of people have told me that throughout my life that I serve as a bridge. I connect people, connect ideas. So maybe that is what that is. So for me, it's like my meaning, the thing that makes life meaningful for me is the journey of trying to figure out how I can serve society, humankind as a whole best as myself. Mm. I think it's so interesting, this, uh, this idea of service, because that's something that I found when I asked this question comes up quite a lot, some element mm -hmm. of, of serving other people. But I also think with, um, with meaning that, that maybe as you move through your life, it changes that there's, I don't know that you need to be like, why well, I've figured out my meaning and this is it now for the rest of my life. I think it is yeah. as, we, as we learn and as we grow, maybe it changes and we take your that's time. That's what I think that out. I've, I, Absolutely. Yeah. And you got to try stuff. That's what like young people and I mean for myself, but I tell this to really young people all the time that they're like, how do I figure out what my purpose is? And it's like, try a bunch of stuff. 
and you'll yeah. it'll it, stuff certain things will resonate and for me it's like the frustrating thing is something will resonate and I'll be re- I'll get really good at it and then it will stop resonating and I think it goes to your point that like maybe it doesn't have to be one thing forever but if I can just kind of try to do the self work that I can make myself the best version of myself so that no matter what I'm doing I'm bringing this positivity and this like um energy is so like people's moods and energy is is, is so infectious that like even just cultivating a healthy positive attitude and healthy, positive outlook on life in yourself, just by virtue of the ripple effect of all of the people that you touch in your life will make a positive impact on the earth. So it doesn't have to be this grand thing. But there, like if you if you are bringing that good intention and the self-awareness to everything that you do, this mindfulness to everything that you do, then you're inherently going to be serving, whether you're putting roofs on houses or serving in a restaurant or working for some nonprofit, like no matter what you're doing, you are doing some kind of service, you're you're fitting into society in some way. Mm. And I think when you're trying lots of different things, and even if you, you spend some time on something that resonates, and then it and then it stops resonating, like you say, you're still growing personally, but also you're picking up skills. And I think a lot of things, if you're thinking career wise, that you can do, there are so many skills that overlap that you can take into yeah. the sort of next thing that you do. It's not just, oh, well, I've wasted three years doing this and now, it, you know, <laughs> it's not a complete yeah, waste. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think this happens a lot of time with kids in, that go to college and they say like, oh, I finished and now I don't want to do that career anymore. So this was a big waste of time and money. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not really. I mean, you can use those, you can apply those skills, whatever you learn to something else. Like I went to school for filmmaking and then immediately afterwards started working in digital marketing. Um, and now that's my career. And even there, like I might have a job where I focus in social media management and then I go get another job in websites or something like it all overlaps. And those are really helpful. Or there with the podcast. If I was able to make the podcast my full-time job at some point, like all of those digital marketing skills weren't wasted because I can use those to help spread these positive ideas. Mm. So they all, you know, everything kind of connects in some way. Even the waiting tables, when I waited tables for years, like that customer service experience, you know, that all matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, I um, studied politics and international relations at university. And then I've got a master's since in a, in a different subject in psychology, actually. But I do not use politics at all in its in the way I studied it. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's politics in all kinds of uh, interactions. If you're interacting with people, there's politics involved. But the skills from it, the critical analysis and developing arguments and all of that, that is a skill that I've taken, even though I'm, I mean, I remember writing assignments about international security and um, cyber terrorism, that kind of thing. And that has nothing to do with anything I do now. But I still have valuable skills from that time. Yeah, I mean, everything in the world is so interconnected that you become a very valuable member of society by picking up all of the different things that you and and if you bring a positive attitude to it and see the way that you know those things can all connect then that makes you really valuable i think that's what a lot of us want on some whether we know it or not is we want to be valuable to society you know Mm, yeah and i think that links back into you mentioned about self-awareness and and the mindfulness that I think self-awareness is is so important and something that's that's maybe undervalued by society that being able to whether it's your emotions or your skills or I don't know anything being able to kind of check in with yourself and to know where where you're at I think is something that's maybe undervalued and and really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean a lot of us are I mean it goes back to that healthy um in some ways it goes back to that healthy relationship to your emotions because a lot of people are just ruled by their emotions. 
And it's just this storm that's constantly just pushing them forward. And it's dangerous because sometimes you might be happy. And so then you're, you know, the effect of that, but then when you're angry and a lot of times the anger is anger and fear are very powerful emotions. So if you don't look at them and, and kind of understand why they're occurring and in, in mindfulness meditation, the idea is not to look at it and say, this is bad. We need to delete this. A lot of people think the whole point of it is to sit on a mat and silence your brain. And that's not it at all. You are developing awareness and awareness of that storm that's going on in your brain. And once you start to realize it, then you kind of stop allowing the storm to drive the ship and you can start to take control of it yourself and notice when you're not. Notice when, oh, my emotions are getting the better of me or they're running off on tangents. And the, the weird thing is, is like once you start to notice your emotions and, and pay close attention to them and understand where they're arising from, because everything has cause and effect, Every, there's a reason they're arising and they served you at some point or there's some evolutionary reason they're, they're yeah. occurring. Once you start to understand those things, either intuitively or through the science or both, they just kind of start to dissipate in their power. They still mm-hmm. exist and they still pop up to say like, hey, like anger, I think a lot of times is I feel like I'm being treated unfairly you know, which is a fair assessment of the world. Like sometimes you are being treated unfairly and you do need to stand up for yourself. Coming at it with anger is not always going to be a healthy response, but you can thank that anger and say like, okay, there is some injustice here. Now, what can I do about it in a healthy manner? Because just haphazardly running at it, you know, swinging fist is not going to actually solve anything a lot of times make things worse often. I think anger is a really um, interesting emotion as well because sometimes it masks other emotions. So you feel angry, but really what you're feeling is disappointed or frustrated or vulnerable, I think is a big one. That when we feel vulnerable, we we have anger as the, the protective emotion. And and actually it's not anger, it's that underneath there's some kind of fear or there's yeah, yeah. injustice or disappointment. And I think a lot of what I've noticed, at least with my own emotions, is that almost everything that would be classified as a negative emotion boils down to fear at some point, fear of something. And if we're not taught to deal and accept that fear exists and it it serves a purpose and you kind of have to accept that it's serving that purpose, but also it gets in the way. It makes finding the solution to whatever the thing you're fearful of, it kind of causes a lot for in my life, at least it's caused a lot of the things that I was fearful of. If I would have just not been fearful of the thing or learned to work through that fear, I could have solved the problem or, or kept it from happening where by feeding into it, I just make, you know, the relationship worse or my job security worse or whatever it is that I'm afraid of ends up, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, But it's a powerful emotion, isn't it? And it's difficult to face things that you're, that you're afraid of, but yeah, really worth doing. And I, I don't know if you've ever read, I only read this recently, but it's like an oldie bit. But um, classic, kind of feel uh, feel the fear and do it anyway. The book, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and that's a like those are you know powerful things to keep in mind when you're when you're becoming when you're practicing self awareness through whatever method, whether it's meditation or something else. So you know that you don't have to you don't have to be afraid of your own fear. You don't have to be afraid of your own. You know, it's not it's not bad. You don't have to delete it. You just have to feel it and do the right thing anyway. Yeah, whether that's fear, whether that's anger, whether that's whatever it is, grief, you want to feel those feelings, but continue to move forward anyway. Yeah. What's really interesting in the book, she says that ultimately every fear, whatever fear you have boils down to, I I can't handle it. It's the fear that you won't be able to handle that thing. You know, and I think we fixate on the specific, 
But yeah, it's just, can I handle it? And actually, I think if you can have the self-awareness to take a step back and go, can I handle it? Then probably the answer is yes, even if it's going to be maybe a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's, I think that's part of the reason why it's there is to protect you from that discomfort. But it's Mm. like, we're so protected from discomfort in our world today that like, objectively, our discomfort is not that uncomfortable in comparison to like what our ancestors have had to deal with. So it's like, really, it's possible for us to just, you know, Hmm. feel the fear and do it anyway you know i was watching a thing about victorian england they put like some celebrities back in this like 24 hours and whatever um (laughs) and it was cool to see because it really made you look at it and go like wow we have it so easy now in comparison to what most of our even recent ancestors lived through every day Mm -hmm. not it wasn't just like these people are experiencing it 24 hours and they're miserable and you're just like imagine that being your entire life and then compare that to like the even small apartment you might have now that isn't dirty and filthy and you have sewage, hopefully, and you have electricity, the internet, like all of these really amazing things that not that things can't get better, they always can get better. But we have so many tools and comforts at our disposal, that we really need to, you know, be grateful for those things. And then know that we're in a very good position to conquer whatever it is in our lives that we're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had uh, the last two weekends, we've had storms, kind of uh, blow through so there's lots of uh, floods around people have had flooding and losing electricity for the evening Mm -hmm. and and it's when stuff like that happens that you realize like how much you take it for granted like my house is secure it's warm I've got power I can cook I can have a hot shower and then suddenly when it's gone even if it's just for the shortest amount of time it's we can't cope (laughs) yeah so used to it yeah earlier this year I was living in my car purposefully (laughs) I had built a bed in my car and I was traveling um and then I totaled my car so I was I all of a sudden was homeless in the middle of the desert and I was stranded there for weeks until I could get a ride to the city and get a flight to where I live now and even when I moved into my apartment I was sleeping on a sleeping bag on the hardwood floor for like a couple weeks and I just had nothing and it really Mm -hmm. put things in perspective of like now I have a bed and I'm just like I am so grateful for this bed and if I can go from that to this in just a couple months, I feel so much more capable of tackling whatever it is life throws at me. And the fact that that series of events three or four years ago would have spun me into an alcoholic binge. I did Mm -hmm. drink a little bit. I did relapse during that period of time, but I caught myself and got myself out of it quickly. And it's like, it's because of these tools and techniques Mm -hmm. that I've learned over the years to be able to be self-aware of what's going on and then use some of those tools to get out of it and to stay not even necessarily positive, but manage the stress in a healthy way. And and then that felt really empowering because it's like, okay, I'm able to, like, this is one of the worst case scenarios that can happen to someone in modern society is becoming homeless. And I was able to figure that out and deal with it. And it's actually the second time I've been homeless. And I dealt with it a lot better this time than the last time. Um, And it only lasted a shorter period of time because of it, because I just looked at it and I said, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to figure it out. And I think that if someone has said to you that, you know, this is what's going to happen, this is what you've got to do, you're going to be stranded in the desert for for weeks, and then you're going to be doing this, a lot of people would just be like, no, I can't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. But actually, when you're, when you're at the other end, you did, you did it, you handled it. When you're it, there and you don't have any and, option. 
yeah, uh, we're we're capable yeah. of more than than we think we are. So what was the other thing I was I was going to say about the um, yeah, about about relapse, and I and I don't know whether you would agree with this, but that if you've had experience with addiction, that obviously being able to abstain from whatever the substance is that that you have the history with is is maybe the ideal, but in life it is a journey and relapses are probably going to happen and actually like you said being able to deal with it catch it sooner that I you know I would think is is maybe what a healthy recovery looks like because it's it's real you're able to handle those things and actually if you go through a really difficult life situation you possibly might have a relapse because that's something that has helped you cope before Um, I don't know whether yeah whether you'd agree with that rather than just never touch it again. Oh, absolutely. I I think that, you know, it's not just an on or off switch. It doesn't have to be. I think a lot of, and that's what kind of my problem with AA, I think AA has helped a ton of people. So I don't want to like say that it's wrong in, but in, in that specific way, I do find issue with the idea that it's, you're either sober or you're not. And I think the goal should be to be completely sober just because honestly it's healthy and it feels good. (laughs) Um, Mm. But if you do take a drink, that doesn't mean you're instantly back in it. You know, you stop after that drink. And it might be harder for some people that have addictive personalities or have dealt with the addiction in the past, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And even if you have a night of binge drinking, then, you know, the next day you can wake up and you can start again. And I, and I learned that from meditation, that idea that you simply begin again. You have that self-compassion to say, I understand why you did that, but that's not going to continue to serve us in the future. So let's just start over. Today's a new day. And it's that where that's the AA thing is like uh, one day at a time. So that is positive and, and helpful. But like you said, it's probably going to happen. And you need to be prepared for what do you do when that does happen? Do you have that self-forgiveness and that self-love to be able to say, you know, I understand why I did that. And it was a moment of weakness or whatever. And uh, I'm going to just pull myself up and do better today. Because hmm. I think or I would imagine that if you became fixated on it, and then you were beating yourself up at about it that's not going to help yeah you're you're going to be like now I guess my only comparison is is with food which is I mean very you know a very different thing but it's that kind of diet mentality isn't it like oh I've eaten cake now so I've I've just there's no point dieting at all I've ruined it now (laughs) I don't think it's that different at all I think that they're totally people like to use the term addiction specifically with alcohol and and substances because those are the ones that are kind of wreaking the most havoc but social media Mm-hmm. Um, working, working out can be an addiction. Like there's so many things and food obviously can be unhealthy food, especially can totally be addictive. Um, and they can be refuges for your sadness and your, and your suffering. And that's where that self-awareness comes in. Am I eating this sweet because I'm treating myself or am I eating it because I'm sad and I'm looking for some escape? Or am I watching this Netflix show because I really want to watch this and I think it's entertaining or am I looking for some escape from my sadness and suffering? Yeah. And and I, yeah, I suppose with all of the things that you could become addicted to, it's when it becomes that that coping mechanism and that it takes over that that it be- becomes uh, an issue, regardless of you know what it is. And yeah, I think having that all or nothing approach with whatever it is. And if you have a piece of cake, for example, go, just enjoying it and then forgiving yourself if you have that moment of oh, I shouldn't have done that, rather than just yeah you know, beat yourself up and throw it all out. It's much more yeah. a healthy life attitude, isn't it? To go, do you know what? It was someone's birthday. I had a piece of cake. It's not the end of the world. Move on. Yeah. Rather than- yeah. And you don't have to, 
you know, my thing is always, I have actually used the reference a lot that you don't have to eat the whole cake because specifically sugar is an issue for me too. I, I overindulge in sugar. And sometimes, you know, I'll buy a bag of candy or something. And then it's like, I eat a few pieces and I think like, I'm now satiated, but this whole other bag of candy is here. So my previous like uh, habit loop would be to continue eating the entire bag of candy, which is not healthy at all. Not necessarily for me because of weight or anything, but just because of the mental health aspect of like what sugar does to my brain mm -hmm. and most people's brains, but I'm seem very susceptible to it. And it's like, I can throw this bag out. There's nothing stopping me from, you know, eating the few pieces of candy and saying, well, that was good. That was a nice treat. I don't need to keep these rest of the rest of the cake here in my house. I can, you know, give it away or box it up mm. and bring it to work and hand it out or, you know, whatever. Um, you don't have to indulge in. Th and it's the same thing with the drink. It's like, you know, if you order a drink at the bar, it doesn't mean you have to continue to spend your whole night there and, and, and drink your night away. You could just have that one drink and say, okay, well, maybe that was the little bit of stress relief I needed. Now I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, and I think that is a much healthier attitude. And I and I guess I can kind of tell if I'm in a, a good headspace. Um, if, for example, I had some really nice chocolates someone bought me and for ages I had a load of them just in a, a nice decorative mug on the side and they were there, I could eat them whenever I wanted, but I just didn't want them or need them. And, and I think that's that kind of, it's available to me, it's my choice. I don't need it. Yeah. Do I do I want it? And I suppose if you can reach that point with with whatever the thing is that you've been going to for refuge and and if it's something that at times you know could be enjoyable, is it that you need it or is it just mm -hmm. you know what I'm gonna have a drink because it's a toast at a wedding or because I'm yeah. you know right. yeah yeah and like there like just because you have a toast at a wedding or you you drink some wine at communion or whatever doesn't mean that you have to relapse. You can just have that glass of wine or whatever and, and or that champagne and, and move on. I do, you know, like, and there are physical hooks that have to do with alcohol and, and specifically some, you know, stronger substances. But sugar, honestly, is equally as, as addictive physically as these other substances. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty rough uh, that we have it just like constantly available to us everywhere. But again, it serves some purpose. It like, evolutionarily there's a reason that we seek it out because it's high um it's it's a source of energy even though it's a yeah. short burst of energy and it messes with our you know it messes with all kinds of systems if you found a sweet berry or something that was full of sugar like that was a good source of energy when food was scarce the issue is now mm. that we don't live in that society that mm. <laughs> food yeah. is abundant well, I think also that yes, there are those um, those hooks, those those chemical hooks, and again, it's back to the brain chemistry for food. And I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, gone from having a lot of sugar or caffeine to then not having any, and you have those yeah. couple of days that are <laughs> awful. That and you can you really feel like, oh, what am I doing to my body? But even um, with um, with some drugs as well, that actually the physical, the brain chemical. I think within like 24 48 hours the the physical craving is gone it's then it's the psychological yeah, yeah absolutely I, i've been through withdrawals from multiple substances and and i mean and alcohol was honestly the coffee seems to be one of the worst no, alcohol was the worst <laughs> for sure um but and cigarettes like quitting cigarettes yeah. is rough um and and those are legal substances i, I think mm. that's kind of absurd but um <laughs> have you have you ever seen the NASA spider experiment? No. 
Oh, you should Google it. So NASA uh, in the 60s, maybe, uh, basically gave spiders a whole range of drugs to see mm -hmm. the effect it had on their webs. Uh, so they had like, LSD, marijuana, sleeping pills, uh, caffeine. <laughs> and it's quite scary looking at the caffeine one compared to some other drugs that were but yeah, like have a Google because it's really interesting. And we kind of just think caffeine. I mean, and I'm a, you know, I love caffeine. Yeah, we take um, it for granted that it's just like there. Just gonna, yeah, I'm just going to have a coffee. It's absolutely fine. Actually <laughs> has a massive impact. Um, I'm just going to have a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the caffeine spiderweb, your brain is probably all over the place. But Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a cause of so much anxiety too. Like caffeine is such a, a trigger for anxiety and it makes it really hard to maintain it. But it's also hard, so hard to quit. Like I, I can't go, if I don't have a coffee within the first hour of my day, I get a migraine that completely debilita debilitates me for the rest of the day. So it is on my checklist to like go back. I at one point did quit caffeine completely. I was only drinking, you know, some black teas, you know, that do have caffeine, but significantly lower amounts. But I needed about a week to just lay in bed. <laughs> To, yeah. to get over those those withdrawal symptoms yeah which is just crazy I, for a uh, readily available substance that we all drink all the time yeah yeah I mean I've tried to um to limit my caffeine to two or three cups a day of coffee um which probably still sounds like a lot but before <laughs> having loads yeah, of no, um, I get it. <laughs> loads, loads of coffee uh I actually I had a lesson with students and we were talking about um I don't know if we were just it was in psychology. So we might've been talking about drugs anyway, is relevant to the topic. And uh, they were commenting on how much caffeine I drank. And I was like, I've, you know, I've only had one cup today. And they're like, the key word is only because they're like, we're, I'm having this one cup now, but that is the only one I'm going to have. And you've, <laughs> this is all you've had so far. So, okay, fair enough. But, uh, yeah. So I'm going to uh, throw in another question now for you Go on the psyche. Yeah, on the Psyche podcast, we talk about mental wellness. So we do dip into mental illness as well. But I think there will be some people listening who maybe won't ever experience a period of mental illness. Um, but we all have a mental world and we can all think about looking after that mental world. So my question is, what does mental wellness mean to you? And how do you look after your own mental well-being? To me, mental wellness, and I like that term, I like I like talking about mental wellness rather than because if we just focus on the illness, then, you know, you're kind of where where your energy goes, you know, you're you're going to continue to swell up that part of the thinking in your brain. So if you're only thinking about the negatives of, of your mental illness or whatever, and honestly, I think some people kind of get spiraled into developing more of a mental illness than they had in the first place, just by especially if anyone's prone to anxiety, which I feel like most people are you can develop worse anxiety just by thinking about anxiety as a mental illness and being like, I need to medicate this away or something instead of just dealing with the causes of that anxiety. But as far as mental wellness comes down to having a self-awareness of how your brain works and being that meta programmer, it's a term I use a lot of, you know, outside of those emotions and, and the experiences, we have this unique ability for whatever reason whether it's a soul or whether it's just some, you know, evolutionary thing that allows us to kind of pull the levers and understanding what those levers are. And really, I think it's essential for every human being to study at least a little bit of psychology 
to understand their brain a little bit better to um, study some really surface level neuroscience stuff. Even if it's just through some fun YouTube videos where you learn, you know, how your brain works and what the chemicals are that are going on in there. Because just having that basic understanding really changes the way that you're able to look at your brain and it causes that self-awareness. And I think even if you have a really healthy brain and even if you have a really healthy life, it could be even better if you had this self-awareness uh, of your of your mental health and your mental wellness. And, you know, you could continue to and also it develops empathy for other people that maybe don't have that same default you know satisfaction with life that you do or don't have that same default stress um management that you do uh having that empathy for other people feels good first of all it feels good to, to understand other people and also obviously it makes us a better society if we can understand each other yeah absolutely so my next question and this one is uh usually the hardest one for people. So just um, heads okay. up. That. <laughs> Can you describe your mindset? I think that that metaprogrammer word covers a lot of it. I'm, I'm a very logical person. So for me, I like to know what those levers are and see when I'm pulling them and, and what directions my pathways are, are um, going in my brain. So the self-awareness, self-aware, mindful. Those are the kind of terms that I would use to describe my, my mentality, my kind of the way that I view the world, right? Like, and mm. my mindset, which leads me to positivity and gratitude. Gratif <laughs> I can't even say that word. <laughs> gratitude. I don't know what I was going with that. But um, it's the coffee. <laughs> it's doing all kinds of crazy things to my brain. Um, but yeah, I think living, the more I live in a state of mindfulness, which I practice insight meditation and um, carrying that mindfulness into the day, when I am in that state of self-awareness, my fulfillment in life is through the roof. And I love being able to share that with other people. Uh, obviously, I'm human. <laughs> it doesn't, I, I'm not that way every single day. I get stuck in negative cycles and the great thing is, is eventually being able to notice that I did, I'm stuck in the negative cycle, having that self-compassion to say, that's understandable. Let's look at this. What spiraled you into this? And are things really as bad as your brain is telling you they are? And so it's that, I mean, I have a very positive outlook on life in general and society people. I used to be a doomsday guy. <laughs> I used to think that, you know, the world was imminently coming to an end and, and I don't believe that at all anymore. I think humans are capable of such beautiful, amazing things. And I think the net effect of humanity has been positive. We've got plenty of issues we got to work through, but things are getting better constantly. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that that self awareness, it's it is like a muscle, isn't it? That it becomes yeah. easier with practice. So when you get into a negative cycle and then you recognize it, hopefully in future you you are then able to recognize it sooner. And yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with, with like meditation. A lot of people, you know, you sit down on the mat and you're supposed to focus on your breath and you're like, that's easy. I'm going to get bored focusing on my breath. And after like two seconds, your brain is running off in another direction. And if you are being taught correctly, you'll be taught that that's not, you know, you're not failing at meditation. If you're, you know, if your mind is wandering, what the real success is noticing that you did it and then starting over and then seeing how quick it takes, like, and then you start to notice like, oh, wow, my attention is so not trained at all. And 
the crazy thing is, is having that faith, there is a little bit of faith aspect to it that you have to know that it might work to sit down and do it for a couple of weeks before you start to see, oh, I can stay on my breath for a lot longer. And then I can go in these other places and not, you know, wander off in a million directions. And I still, I've been practicing for years and I still wander off in other directions and then just notice wandering. You know, there's a noting practice where you just kind of state the thing that you're hearing when you hear something or, or feeling when my cat bumps up against me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like just, oh, wandering. And then I jump back to the breath, start over and then start looking at whatever the thing was that I was practicing. Um, and it's, that's why it's called a practice, because you're practicing that muscle, uh, that self-awareness muscle. And that awareness, that ability to control your awareness is so powerful in so many other parts of life. I even see it in work, like in your productivity. It's incredibly valuable to be able to focus on a topic, on a, on a, on a piece of work and stay in that deep work state. And meditation can help train that muscle of focus and awareness so that you can stay focused on the thing that you need to. And it just kind of bleeds over into so many other ways, parts of life and being present with people. That's another positive effect of it. Like when you're having a conversation with someone, keeping your attention focused in on the conversation and, you know, noticing things about them. And that's a beautiful thing. People really <laughs> like that too. When you're actually, they can tell when you're actually present with them. And all of that is the effect of just training that awareness muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think with the particular being present with people, because sometimes, or a lot of the time, you know, you're listening to someone, but you're not really, because you're like, oh, that makes me think of this, or, oh, well, this is what I'm going to say yeah. back. It's, we're not actually <laughs> focusing on the person, we're like thinking about our own, like, oh, how am I going to talk about me in this conversation? So actually being able to focus really on the person, I think is so valuable for the quality of your relationships that you have with people, because you're really there listening to them, giving them your attention. Yeah, absolutely. It's same with experiences too. I, I've noticed that I have this tendency to wander in my brain when I'm having an experience of how am I going to describe this experience later to other people? <laughs> how am mm. I going to tell the story of this experience? <laughs> I'm watching this beautiful yeah. sunset and I'm like, yeah. how am I going to tell people about this? And now I notice it and say, you know, I, I allow myself to like just kind of release that kind of gathering of words to describe it and just be like, let's just experience this. Um, but it's, it's still, that's kind of something that haunts me constantly is even when I'm sitting on the mat, I'm like, how am I going to describe this experience of this deep meditative (laughs) state to somebody? And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing that thing again. So like being present with experiences and people. And and I think having a, a, a full aware experience of your experiences and relationships is what leads to that feeling of fulfillment in life. Whether you have these other things too, there's kind of those boxes you need to check to have that fulfilling life. And it's, some sense of meaning, whether it's a big purpose that you're following or just a sense of connectedness to the whole or whatever your religious meaning might be. Um, And then also being present and experiencing life free of that anxiety and and the suffering that most humans are caught up in constantly. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My uh, second to last question is, and we, we've probably already given people lots and lots of ideas that they can take from this podcast, but I like to ask guests to leave listeners with between one and three strategies that they can put in place in their life that are going to have a, a massive impact. So what would your one to three things be? I would say the most important thing 
is to develop some kind of practice of gratitude. Generally, a lot of people say that and it's kind of become this buzzword or whatever, but it's really, it's powerful to, to notice those things. Like you said, you know, that when your lights are off, then you notice, oh, how much I rely on this or whatever. But noticing it when you do have it, when you wake up in the morning is a really nice time to, I, I think journaling is a good um, way to kind of, because when you do it in your brain, there's no one really accountable. You're not even accountable to yourself, really. You can wander off in a million directions. But if you write it down, you're like really there with things. So like writing down one to three things that you're grateful for every morning can really help kind of raise that satisfaction of life. And the second thing would be to not shy away from your emotions and, and whatever it is, however, whatever tactic it is that you use, learn more about that, you know, listen to more podcasts like this do some research, watch some YouTube videos about that neuroscience and the the psychology of what's actually going on when you're feeling these things and realize that your emotions are not you. Your emotions are a piece of, of the whole of you, but they are not, you know, they're they are somewhat separate from your whatever the you is that is experiencing life. And they are, the Buddha explains them as like filters or dis- disturbances in the water from being able to see the clear Uh, bottom of the lake and it's a really good metaphor to when you're feeling emotion realize like i am not seeing things clearly because of these emotions what is this emotion trying to teach me and you'll get there through just learning about it and the third thing would be to develop some kind of meditation mindfulness practice i really think people should try that i think you know yoga can be that for some people that like to be more physical all kinds of different versions of it. I've really gravitated towards this insight meditation, this Vipassana, which is the Buddha's original teachings, which doesn't have to be, you can remove, there's actually a whole website dedicated to the secular, so non-religious view of Buddhism. Because originally it was just a philosophy. There wasn't really a lot of the religious stuff involved. Um, The only thing was the reincarnation thing, but even that can be taken out of Buddhism and it can still be a powerful way to reduce suffering in your life through becoming mindful. And it's, it, it makes you kind of feel like a superhuman at a certain point. Um, and it all just starts with doing that meditation. And a big thing is if you're completely new to it, find some way to do guided meditations, whether it's through an app. Um, I like the waking up app by Sam Harris, Mm -hmm. but there's a ton of them that can kind of help you break through that first couple of weeks that are really hard for people that, you know, you kind of need that guided, um, meditation. Or ideally, if you can find somebody in your city that's teaching beginners meditation, that's a great way to do it socially and kind of have that social accountability to actually sit there for 10 minutes or however long it is and have someone to discuss direct questions of like, I keep having this thought or this keeps happening in my mind. And if you have an experienced teacher, they can kind of guide you through that to, to get to that state of stronger awareness and stronger mindfulness. Hmm. I think I don't know if you've ever used the Headspace app or if you if you know of it mm-hmm. um so i think that's another i've used it with in school as well with with children it's quite a nice intro and they have some really nice little animations that explain this idea of thoughts and they have one where it's like if you imagine the thoughts is if you ran out into traffic and you're trying to stop cars it would just be chaos and actually you're just like recognizing them as they go past and like you're sat on yeah. a bench you know, so I think that's, um, and you can probably on YouTube find the Headspace videos. And I think they are really helpful, but fun ways of explaining how the, the thoughts are working and, and mindfulness. So yeah, absolutely. That's a great app. And, and it's, it's, I, if you try an app, 
and it, it doesn't seem like it's clicking for you, try a different one. Because that's for me, I had tried Headspace, I had tried Breathe, I had tried Calm, and none of them really were like catching my interest. And then the way that Sam Harris discussed things, he's more of, he's a neuroscientist. So he's talking mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff in that area, which interests me. So to me, that was the thing that got me. But for some people, the little animations might be the thing that catches you or mm-hmm. Calm has a lot of stuff with just music and background noises and stuff. So that might be um, uh, something that uh, works for people that it's just a matter of trying a bunch of things and not giving up, not being like, well, I would meditated once and I hated yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such an important point to try it multiple times. And if you try an app and it doesn't work for you, try a couple more. It might just be that that format doesn't suit you rather than just being like, it's not for me <laughs> after yeah. one try. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, and I think all of those all of those um, tips are actually things that that I try try and do in my life. Um, so yeah, thank you. They're all fantastic suggestions. So my last question for you is really just if people want to connect with you, if they want to check out your podcast or they want to find out more about the work that you're doing or um, things that you're up to, how can they connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, my podcast is Happy You Are Here podcast, which is on you know Spotify and everything. We also have a website that's happyyouarehere.life. Mm-hmm. Um, and on there, there's all the podcast episodes. There's also links to where you can listen and you can find me. Uh, I'm just Craig and Zana, and it's just Craig and Zana with no spaces on literally everything. Luckily, I'm the only person on the internet that has that name. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all that stuff too. I'm pretty active. My job is social media, so I'm pretty active on social media as far as interacting with people. I don't post necessarily all the time, but I absolutely love interacting and, and e-meeting new people all the time. So I totally encourage people to reach reach out. And if they're interested in those kind of tools and techniques to living a more fulfilled life. That's what that podcast is all about. I try to break things down to specific, they're relatively short episodes, about 10 to 20 minutes each. Um, and yeah, they're just all about like one technique or one tool or one idea for, uh, for one episode. So that can be really helpful for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we can put links to your social media and to your website in the show notes as well. So people can access it easily. so brilliant thank you so so much craig it's been really really fun to connect with you i love podcasting as a way of like you said e-meeting people from all around the world but i've yeah i've really enjoyed talking to you and and yeah sort of touching on new topics we've not talked about before and um yeah thank you so much wonderful thank you for having me so thank you again to craig for joining us And I hope you found that conversation uplifting. I felt really positive talking to Craig and afterwards. And I just want to leave you just super quickly with a little bit of where you can go for extra help if you've been listening to this and and maybe realised that your own relationship with substances is maybe not healthy or that, that you've got some inner work to do. So for drug addiction help, the NHS Live Well Healthy Body has information and you can find drug addiction support services. There's Frank. You can, um, I don't know if you've seen the adverts for Frank. I haven't seen one for a while, but talktofrank.com has information, including where you can find local and national services that provide counselling and treatment in England. Mind. Uh, again, MIND is one that we go to quite a lot, have information about addiction, dependency resources, 
And so some of those for finding services are UK specific, but the information about the type of treatments or uh, about addiction generally, that is going to be universal. So whether you're tuning in from Virginia, where we have quite a few listeners, hi, <laughs> um, then you know some of the information, for example, mind is still going to be useful to you. And you know, I've I've just googled substance abuse help, and things have come up. So I'm sure if you do the same, something near you will come up as well. But um, I would say if you feel that any any substance, anything in anything in your life, if you are using it, as we talked about, to numb something else, then it might be worth talking to someone. And uh, and that's not not always easy. Reaching out for help isn't easy. And going over some of that past stuff, the thing that we're trying to numb out, isn't easy. But ultimately, hopefully worth it to get to a more, I don't know, just a more balanced maybe or integrated place where it's not ruling your life anymore. It's just kind of part of your experience. And and I think the final thing I just want to say is that obviously when we talked about addiction, we, we've talked about a little bit about being sober, but more about having this not being ruled by the thing. But for some people that completely abstaining is their approach. And an AA is is maybe an approach that really works for some people. And as with all things on the podcast, it's not a one size fits all. So there are places like AA or Al-Anon that you you can go to for um for support. And I am not an expert on addiction and substance abuse um but there is support out there so i just uh, wish everybody the best i hope that you have a good week and that you are finding positives in your in your day and in your time and that you are appreciating the little things i mean i today it was my my stepmom's birthday so i really enjoyed having a facetime conversation with them which probably because we live a fair distance from each other, I would normally just call her, like send a gift, but call her on her birthday and maybe see her a little bit later. And actually we've made more of an effort to to FaceTime more frequently. And that's just a small thing that really has boosted my mood and brought me a bit of joy. So I think at the moment it's really finding those small moments every day that give us a little boost and bring us joy. So I hope you find some of those and hopefully if you've enjoyed this if you subscribe then you can get the next episode when it comes out next week and it would be fab if you could share this with anyone else you think would benefit from hearing some of the conversations we have and my chattering at the beginning and the end i won't go on anymore have a great week and i'll be back next week bye 